Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. I mentioned baptism earlier, and for those of you that uh, have placed your faith in Jesus but haven't been baptized, on April 16th, we're going to be having a, a baptism here. There's several people that have expressed a desire to do that. And so if you are um, interested in finding out more about baptism, please uh, let me or one of our leaders know. You can indicate that on a connection card as well. We'd love to talk with you more about that. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite things to do, and I have to be careful um, how I phrase this, is um, eating food. I love to eat food. Um, I think about eating food when I'm eating food. Um, and, and I plan like what I'm gonna eat. So like three days ago, I was like, oh, Sunday, it's not supposed to rain. I wonder what I can put on the grill. You know, and I started planning like marinade for the meat and like what I could grill. Um, and, and I actually think this is like a deeply, uh, a, eating is deeply spiritual as well. Uh, I, I think it's on, it's on purpose like that Jesus chose a bread, the bread and the cup to symbolize what he was about to do for us. And, and actually, there's four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and we're, we're walking through the gospel account of Mark, but my favorite gospel account is Luke's account of Jesus' life. Because, get this, about two-thirds of, of what, Jesus, uh, what Luke records Jesus doing happens with meals. Like two-thirds, of, and I was like, man, that's awesome. And that's that's partly why I love to be a pastor, because I just, I just fill up my week having lunch and coffee with people. It's, it's fantastic. It's a great job. Um, this last Friday, I was a part, many of us were a part of one of my all-time favorite meals ever. Um, and I apologize for those of you that weren't there, because you missed out. But we hosted uh, a meal for our Muslim friends and neighbors on Friday night. And the commons downstairs. We, di- we didn't know what, what to expect, honestly. Like, you put out uh, an invitation to Muslims to come to a church and have a meal. Yee! You know, like, I, I can't imagine what they were thinking. Um, but we said, hey, it's free. There's no agenda. We literally just want to have a meal, and we just want to get to know each other. And so when people started to arrive, I wasn't sure, like, how do you break the ice with this kind of thing? But there was no ice that needed to be broken. As people came in, as food was served, conversation happened. We had probably 15 different nations represented downstairs. Muslims and Christians sat at the same table and ate food together. And I couldn't help but think, this is what it's supposed to be like. Like, Jesus, Jesus modeled this, right? He said he had meals with, with what the religious people said were sinners and tax collectors. He always put add, the, add those in, too. <laughs> But it was just, it was such a beautiful expression of what we're to be as believers. And I, and I just want to say, this has nothing to do with my message today, but uh, I just want to say that hospitality in that way, uh, it, it, it breaks boundaries and it softens hearts and it allows people to, to get to know who Jesus is. And so thank you to those of you who were a part of that. We're definitely going to do it again, but we don't have to wait either. You have a house with a table, don't you? Invite some people over. Uh, you, you, and see what God does, sharing your story. So, all right, this morning we're going to look at Mark chapter uh, 15 together. Uh, we have our kids with us, and so, so kids, maybe you've heard this story before, if you've grown up in the church, 
Uh, maybe you read it in your kid's Bible. Maybe you haven't, but I want you to pay attention. Uh, adults, I want you to pay attention to you. This is a significant part of Jesus' life. It's really to the end of his life. And what we've seen up until this point in Mark's account of Jesus' life is we've seen that there's two primary kind of power groups in society that want Jesus dead. They want him gone. They don't want to see him anymore. The, the first power group we see was, was in place when Jesus was born because as a Jew, he was born into a Roman empire. So his homeland, his people, his culture, his tradition, they were occupied. You could say they were colonized. Some of you know what that's like. You come from, uh, from nations that were colonized maybe by the British. And so there's, there's this overarching culture that Jesus was born into in the midst of his unique culture. And there's this prophecy that a king of the Jews would be born. Well, immediately the ruling empire, the Roman empire, were like, what king? We want this dude dead. And so if you remember the story, King Herod tried to have Jesus killed, and he couldn't. He, tried, he ended up killing thousands of, of children instead. So from the very beginning, we see that Jesus' very presence in the earth was a threat to political power. Then as Jesus went on, as he got older, we see a second power group that Jesus was a threat to, and this was religious power. And this, this power group came into focus when Jesus began his ministry. And ultimately, both of these power groups would join forces to have Jesus killed. And that's what we're going to read today. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. If you don't have your Bibles, there's some in the pews in front of you. The shortcut to it in the Pew Bible is 875. The shortcut on your phone is probably three taps, right? Okay. Mark chapter 15, 1 through 20. Let's just read this together. It will not be on the slides in front of you. Um, let me just set the, the backstory. if you're just joining us. Jesus has been ministering. He's been healing people. He's been preaching the gospel. He's got a core group of guys that have been traveling with him, but he's got hundreds of more followers. Things took a turn. One of his closest friends betrayed him, had him set up to be handed over to these, this power group that wanted him dead. And so we, when we left off, he had just been, just been passed to this religious group. So then chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Now, now, they were making plans. Now, you think, well, don't they already have their plans? Like, they want him killed? He had just been on, essentially on trial in front of the religious leaders, and what they were accusing him of doing was being blasphemous, was claiming power and authority that only God should claim. Well, you know he's doing that because he's God. <laughs> but now, they, now it says that they were making further plans, like through the night. Why would they maybe be making now different plans. We'll find out here as we continue on. They led him and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. Now this was not something that he had claimed earlier or he had been accused of earlier by the religious leaders. Are you the king of the Jews? He said, you have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? 
See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked him. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. So here's what happened, is Jesus had been accused by the religious leaders of betraying their religious ways, but they knew that wasn't going to fly when it came to enacting what they wanted, which was his death. The religious leaders didn't have the authority under Roman rule to enact that themselves, so they had to bring him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, they knew that Pilate wasn't going to care about their religious claims. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't religious. And so they twisted it. They said, he's claiming to be a king. Well, in Roman rule, that's akin to an uprising. Pilate still could see through their envy, through their plans, but hey, no skin off his his teeth, right? He was just going to do what was easiest for his rule, appease the crowd, and have Jesus killed. One of the things that's so interesting is up until this this point with Jesus' ministry, he had always been active and transformative. Jesus had always been active and transformative. Everywhere he went, he was in charge, essentially. He was the one making miracles. He was the one commanding the crowds. He was the one holding their attention with with his teaching. Jesus had always been the one that was active and transformative wherever he went. But in this moment... He was quiet. Why is that? Something must be up. There must be a reason. One of the questions we can ask, both about this situation, but about our lives as well, is this question. Is suffering sometimes actually a part of God's plan? Could it be that sometimes suffering is a part of God's plan? Now, in this story with Jesus, we see that there is no doubt. The answer is yes. Suffering is sometimes a part of God's plan. Now, suffering can be an umbrella term for misery, pain, brokenness, even sickness. 
And there's, a, there's degrees of suffering. Some are worse than others. And there's seasons of suffering. Some seasons are longer than others. And as a human being, there are two things I can pretty much guarantee as it relates to suffering. You will experience it, number one. If you live at all, you will, degree, you will experience some degree of suffering. And number two, while you're in the middle of suffering, you will want it to end as quickly as possible. Can I get an amen? Amen. But there's something else about suffering that we don't always think about. Sometimes suffering for us can actually provide a diagnosis in our life that we otherwise don't get when things are going well. Sometimes suffering reveals things in our hearts and in our lives that we're blind to, and suffering opens our eyes to see that. It actually can diagnose issues in our lives. I I think about this in relation to a friend of mine whose wife got COVID at the very beginning of COVID. Remember March, we kind of shut things down? Like two, three weeks later, she got COVID. First person I knew personally that got COVID. And, and the doctors paid special attention to her. This was on the, the leading edge of COVID. Um, she was, she was uh, uh, about my age. She had four kids. And she went into the doctor, and they started doing all these tests on her and trying to, to figure out how best to, to help her through COVID. And while they were doing the tests, they discovered something. Now, she had had health issues actually most of her life. Random symptoms like, uh, uh, like extreme fatigue and, and headaches and all sorts of things that, that the doctors could never figure out what they connected to. They seemed too disconnected. And because of COVID, they were ended up doing some different types of testings. And during those testings, they discovered what she had. She ended up, she's alive today. She, she went through COVID. But now because of COVID, because of the suffering she went through, she actually knew what her real issue was, like the long-term issue that she had been dealing with her whole life, and there was a way out through it. This is what suffering does sometimes for us. It diagnoses things in our lives that we were unaware of or blind to. How about you? When you've gone through difficult times, what has suffering revealed that has surprised you? Maybe it just made you think about your own mortality. I am not going to be here forever. How does that change the way that I live today? Maybe suffering has shown your uh, a dependence on others that is unhealthy. Maybe tough times that you've been through have revealed your own selfishness or your own bad habits. Maybe it's shown that you focus on things that you shouldn't hold your focus. Whenever I'm sick, like in bed sick, I always make these deals with myself. I'm like, oh man, as soon as I get better, I'm going to start working out. <laughs> like, I, I am not healthy. I need, to, I need to get in better shape, right? Like, when you are forced to reflect, you start to see things in different ways. Now, in the American culture, we do everything we can to avoid hardship at all costs, at all costs. In our relationships, oh, this relationship's too hard, boom, I'm done with it. In our workplace, oh man, my boss is asking too much for me, I'm done with it. Like we at all times do whatever we can to avoid suffering. If we start to feel a little depressed, all I have to do is post something on social media to get a like, oh, and then I'll feel better, right? We don't, we we are not okay with sitting in our uncomfortableness. But here's the thing, The human experience, number one, is always going to include suffering. And number two, sometimes 
Suffering is part of God's plan. James chapter 1 actually says this. <laughs> Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. James, you're crazy. But why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces something, produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we go through hard times, it actually has the potential to strengthen us so that we become mature, not lacking anything. Tough times can actually shift our lives to a healthier place than they were. <clears throat> Suffering can also allow us to see God in a clear way. Romans 5 says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces what? Again, perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering can allow us to see clearly who God is and how he's working in our lives. Let me say this, though. Some people suffer for being idiots. <laughs> Some people suffer because they've made the, the decisions that got them to where they're getting. Make sure that if you're going to suffer, you suffer for the right thing. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. Make sure you suffer for the right thing. Years ago, uh, in 2008, Beijing hosted the Summer Olympics. It was a massive win for Beijing. Um, the, the run up to the Olympics, I was actually in China when they were trying to get the bid some years earlier. They were planting millions, literally millions of trees in the city to make it more beautiful. They were telling cars, uh, if you had an odd number in the last digit of your license plate, you could only drive into the city on this day. If you had an even number, you could only drive in this day to lower the pollution in Beijing, one of the most polluted cities in the world. Beijing got the Olympics. Huge win, especially for communist propaganda. We will put on the best Olympics ever. And I remember the opening ceremony of the 2008 Olympics. If you were too young or you don't remember watching it, look it up on YouTube. Unreal performances. Beautiful, amazing. In 2009, I went to China, to Beijing, and we were there connecting with some ministries. And uh, if you don't know, China has a government-recognized church that's controlled by the government, and then they have the underground church that's not controlled by the government. In the run-up to the Olympics, many pastors of these underground churches were arrested, were beat, were threatened to their life to stop doing what they were doing. China wanted to control the narrative that was going out to the world. When I was there in 2009, I sat with one of those pastors, and as he walked into the room, he was visibly crippled from the beating that he had taken by Chinese secret police. And we began to talk about how he was threatened before the Olympics, and this is a pastor who travels around and ministers in different house churches. And I remember just being amazed at his commitment to the gospel. He was willing to suffer for the right thing. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, 
strengthen and establish you. This is a promise that God gives. We see this in Jesus' life, and we see it in those that continue to follow Jesus to this day. So when we think about suffering, we need to ask God for discernment. When you're going through tough times, you need to pray and say, God, what is going on here? Now, don't, again, don't blame God for your own decisions that got you there, but ask him, is there something that he may be trying to do in you or through you through these difficult times? Some of you in this room may have chronic health issues, and you may be saying, God, why? Why was I born this way? Why do I have this condition? Why have you let it continue to go on? Keep asking that question. God wants to answer it for you. He wants to show you what he's going. Some of you have gone through brokenness in your families, in your marriages, and you say, God, how could you let this happen? God may have a plan even through that. God never ordains evil or desires for it to happen, but he always makes a way through the suffering that we experience so that he might get the glory and so that we might grow in our trust of him. So while we may not like it in the moment, you don't have to, Jesus didn't either, Suffering can produce good things. And in the case of our faith, our very salvation was made possible because of suffering. Who knows what may be possible through the suffering that you're enduring as well. But there's also a danger. When we go through tough times, when we experience suffering, there's a danger that when things aren't going how we want them, We have this desire to avoid hardship and suffering at all costs. And so oftentimes, that can harden our hearts and actually push us away from God toward evil. We see this with the story of Jesus. There's these insecurities in the crowd that are easily influenced, easily captured by the power-hungry people that wanted Jesus dead. These people in their own insecurities, their own, their own challenges, they are manipulated to oppose God. Remember back with me a little bit. Mark chapter 11, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And thousands of people show up. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means, save us now. Palm Sunday, which is next Sunday, this, the week before Easter. The week before he's crucified, thousands of people, save us now. They, they see Jesus riding in as a king. And then after that, Jesus walks into the temple, and he sees in the temple people being uh, taken advantage of for, for monetary purposes. And so Jesus does what? He flips tables. And he says, get out of here. You have made a place of worship, a den of thieves. And it's here in this moment, after the crowds had said, acknowledged him as king, and after the religious leaders were put on blast in the temple, that Mark chapter 11 records that, that um, this is not the, cha- the passage. Mark chapter 11 records, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, heard what Jesus was doing, and they began to look for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Oh, there it is. Thank you. So this is one week before. The crowd loved him. They were amazed at him. The religious leaders were threatened by him. But it wouldn't be long until that same 
crowd that was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, was saying, give us Barabbas. What changed? What changed in one week? Barabbas, he's a murderer and an insurrectionist. Now, again, remember, the people of Israel under Roman occupation. There had been multiple times in the past where Jewish men had risen up, gotten a militia together, and said, we're going to overthrow Rome. Barabbas was part of one of those uprisings. And in one of these insurrections, Barabbas killed somebody. That's why he's in jail. He is a direct threat to the power of Rome. And the crowds are easily manipulated. The crowd chooses the one who takes the lives of others to achieve his own selfish ends. And it condemns the one who gives his life in others in obedience to God. So what on earth changed in less than a week from Hosanna to give us Barabbas? Was it the good vibes around Jesus? Like all of a sudden, man, Jesus isn't so cool anymore. Look at people don't like him. Maybe we shouldn't either. Was it their hopes and dreams? When he rode into this city, we thought it was the beginning of an insurrection. <laughs> He's going to overthrow the political leaders, and he didn't. In fact, he just quietly was arrested. Kill that dude. He's useless. What changed in less than a week? Was it Jesus himself? Did he give up? The crowd thought that the wisdom of Jesus' teaching meant they'd finally get a good political leader. They thought that the power of his miracles finally meant they had a prophet like Moses who would free them from their oppression. They thought that the provision of food and healing that Jesus had, had done earlier meant they'd have a king who would take care of all of their needs. What changed? Well, the answer is nothing. Nothing about who Jesus was changed. The question is, the crowd, did the crowd ever really know him to begin with? Had they really listened to the words coming out of his mouth? What kind of leader do you really want? Do you want a Barabbas? A violent insurrectionist? Or do you want a Jesus? This last week I saw another pastor <clears throat> post these, this kind of um, poetic kind of description of Jesus, and I'm just going to share it with you. His name is Benjamin Kramer. In reflecting on us, what we want, and what our culture says we should be looking for, and who Jesus was. We want the war horse. Jesus rides the donkey. We want the bird of prey. The Holy Spirit descends as a dove. We want the militia. Jesus calls the fishermen, tax collectors, women, and children. We want the courtroom. Jesus sets a table. We want the gavel. Jesus washes feet. We want the empire, or we want to take out the swords. Jesus takes up a cross. We want the empire. Jesus brings the kingdom of God. We want the nation. Jesus calls the church. 
We want the roaring lion. God comes as the slaughtered lamb. We keep trying to arm God. God keeps trying to disarm us. I would like to think that I wouldn't have gone along with the crowd in Jesus' day. But if I'm honest, I'm just not sure. Just not sure. There are some similarities between Jesus' time and ours. On one hand, we live in a very Christianized nation. The the nation of Israel is very religious. And so the language of faith is everywhere. And our politicians, they know how to wield the language of faith to rouse the crowd and how to corrupt religious leaders and twist those things to their own gain. On the other hand, we also live in an increasingly secular nation where many of the values that our culture once agreed with, the teachings of Jesus, well, now they no longer do. Are you aware of these things? Are you aware of the twisting? Are you aware of the crowd? Are you aware of the desires of your heart that look more like the Roman Empire and less like the kingdom of God? If so, how are you guarding your heart not to get swept up with the crowd? What would keep you from throwing your support behind someone just like Barabbas? Because of technology today, our children are able to get direct messaging that influences their beliefs about themselves and the world that they live in. Are you aware of that? You're included too. If so, how are you helping your kids process the message of the empire and guarding against it? How are you contrasting that message with the truth of God? You know, as quickly as they seemed to turn on Jesus, the crowds didn't call for a murdering insurrectionist completely out of the blue. It may feel like it when we read it in Scripture, but this didn't come from nowhere. They were a product of their culture. And deep inside of them, what they couldn't believe is that following Jesus was worth it. Because nothing in their culture would agree with that. And I wonder if, if anyone didn't yell for Jesus' death. I wonder if anyone instead walked away from that crowd and prayed. We don't know. It wasn't recorded. I wonder if anyone paused for a moment and reflected on some of the earlier things that Jesus had said and done and thought, wait a second, maybe this is part of his plan. Maybe God is still at work in the midst of this impossible situation. Jesus seemed silent in that moment, but the real question was, had anyone in that crowd ever really listened? Have we? All the way back at the beginning of his ministry, Mark chapter 1. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
heard this story recently. We have some neighbors that are uh, from Romania. And there's this, this story about how Christians in Romania, there was a label that was put on them to kind of mock them. And the label that was put on Christians in Romania, this is some years ago, was the label repenters. Those, those followers of Jesus, right? They're the repenters. And it was used in a mocking kind of way, just like when the soldiers said, hey, oh, king of the Jews. They didn't mean it. So how would the Romanian church respond to this kind of disparaging remark? I love it. This is what they did. They said, yes, we are. We repent. We used to think that God was, that looked like us, was, was, would act like us, would do the things that we do, but we now know who he is. We repented from that mentality. We used to think that everything worth gaining in this world had to come through power, but now we know that it comes through service. Yeah, we repented of that belief. We used to put others in front of ourselves, but now like Jesus, we put, or I should we put ourselves in front of others, but now like Jesus, we put others in front of ourselves. We repented from that backwards thinking. We used to think that we could earn our way into heaven, <laughs> but now we know that it's only through Jesus we repented of that way of thinking. We used to think we had to, to be a certain level of goodness before we could approach God in prayer, but now we repent in that thinking because we know that Jesus took care of all of our sins, and we can come to God as children and say, Daddy, Daddy, will you forgive me? We are the repenters. And we might ask the question again today as we leave, Jesus or Barabbas? My prayer for you this morning is that you would listen to Jesus, that his words and his ways would cut through the political rhetoric, the secular insanity, and all the religious fluff. And when you do that, that you would find yourselves as a citizen of the kingdom of God, where his good news proclaims that any suffering is worth it because it leads to glory. Amen? I want to end just with prayer today. So would you stand with me? I want to first lead us just into, into a prayer of confession. Father, I confess, and I think many of us in this room can as well, that we at times have said yes to Barabbas and no to you. We've said yes to the one who seems violent and in power and will, would do things how I would do them. And we reject your way, suffering servant, friend of sinners, lowly and humble, and so, Father, I confess in my heart and I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me for the times that I have put the power of the culture, the allure of that over the simplicity of following you. And, Lord, I pray that as believers we would be aware of the water that we swim in, of the air that we breathe, that we would, we would know your truth, that we would listen to you, that we would be repenters, having a change of mind, and wanting to follow you. Your kingdom is near, it is present, and it is working, one heart at a time, one gathering of your saints at a time. And Lord, as we scatter today, as we go out, may we be ambassadors of that kingdom. 
Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this place that we could gather. Thank you for this time that we have to remember your goodness to us. May it serve as a springboard for our week. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.